Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Thanks for the Knowledge, Fanbytes Weekly News Show, rounding up the headlines and games and entertainment in one handy podcast. I'm your host, head of Fanbyte Media, John Warren. We have a great show for you today. We had kind of a big thing happen in the industry. Let's get right to it. Let's get to the top story of the week, of the of the month, maybe the year. I sat down with Natalie Flores to discuss every angle of this huge story. We have to go there immediately. Well, folks, we're only three weeks into 2022, but already I would argue the story of the year has dropped. When the calendar flips to 2023, I doubt there will be a bigger story than the upcoming acquisition of Activision Blizzard by Microsoft to the tune of 68.7 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars. It's the biggest uh, acquisition in games industry history. And here with me to discuss every conceivable angle (laughs) that we can in the next, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes is our very own featured contributor, Natalie Flores. Hi, Natalie. Hi, John. Hello. Where were you when you heard the news? <laughs> it's that that sort of game industry moment now. Where were you when yeah. Microsoft announced the Blizzard, the Activision acquisition? Um, yeah. I was I was on my desk, uh, vibing, and nice. then it was funny because like. I think uh, this news, it dropped Tuesday, I want to say. Yeah, it was Tuesday morning. Okay, because Monday, Paul messaged me about coming on, thanks for the knowledge. And he was like, well, like, barring any, like, huge, like, we'll wait to see what happens over the course of the week. But if nothing huge happens or anything noteworthy, Uh we'll talk about X, Y, Z. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. We'll probably end up doing that (laughs) the next morning. That house, I was like, okay, so I think we have our thing that we're going to talk about. Yeah, this story kind of sucked the gravity out of basically everything else that's been going on lately. And um, it's a massive, massive deal. Um, And there are a million angles to come at this uh, from. But I want to start, actually, and we could get into the nitty gritty of some of the details, and we may. But I want to start with something that you brought up. I think you were one of the first people on my timeline to say, hey, everybody is like talking about these things. But I want to talk about the union. I want to talk about the ABK workers. I want to talk about a better ABK. Like there is still an ongoing, as far as we know, 
unionization effort going on at Activision Blizzard. And that was not part of any of the official discussion um, in the actual acquisition paperwork in a lot of the reporting, uh, at least early on. And I don't know. I want to start there. We also have some breaking news, which we'll get to. But in your mind, what did you first think about in terms of the union that might be forming at ABK? Yeah, I mean, it was I think I was just disappointed to see sort of all the the statements on social media about like how this is like um, a huge thing for gaming or I would go (laughs) into Twitter spaces and people were just sort of talking about what this meant for the games. But it's like at the end of the day, (laughs) the games are made by people. And if you don't care about the people behind them and their conditions, like you're not going to get the games that you want. Right. And so just when the news came out, it was, I just immediately started wondering about whether the ABK Workers Alliance folks were contacted about this. It seems that they were not. They were um, not. Uh, yesterday, uh, Mike Ibarra posted a uh, a nice page about how Blizzard will be putting our teams and players at the forefront of everything we do. And in that post is a list of uh, actions that the company has ostensibly started taking or will be taking in order to improve their culture uh which is one of the primary concerns that uh workers at activision studios following the news of the acquisition were sort of talking about online like how will this acquisition impact our our conditions and we'll get to that later um as like several folks have already spoken to different publications um but you know in that post from yabara among those things mentioned as actions that they will be taking, there is no mention of working still with the ABK Workers Alliance that's fighting right. for a better ABK. Uh, just like there is no initial recognition of that in any of the public statements made by either side, uh, on the Activision side or and, on the Xbox side. And in fact, in the SEC filing, Activision even went so far as to saying there's basically no union activity going on essentially in the paperwork, which is very interesting to me. Very interesting. Um, And there was no particular acknowledgement of the Raven Software QA strike uh, that's going on. Raven Software is one of the studios. It is the studio overseeing Call of Duty Warzone and one of the studios under Activision. And its strike is currently on week seven. just before we started recording, we did get the breaking news uh, broken by Nicole Carpenter over at Polygon that testers at Raven Software are actually forming a union and demanding voluntary recognition. Uh, it's a 34-person unit, and it makes this the first ever union in the North American big-budget video game industry. Uh, workers are asking the company to voluntarily recognize the union, which has the support of the supermajority of Raven Software. QA workers, which is approximately 78% of eligible workers. Yeah, that's that's a huge, huge breaking story because one of 
one of my big questions, and we discussed this on Tuesday morning on on uh, my morning my Tuesday morning stream with Imran and, and Nikki. Um, we discussed kind of you know we have eighteen months. Like this is one of the details from the acquisition. There are basically eighteen months between now and when they expect the acquisition to close. And in between that eighteen months, that's a lot of time. First of all, not only does it give us a lot of time for uh, a bunch of you know stuff like oh there could be game releases and there, there could, the fortunes of a lot of these things could totally change. But I think the more interesting part of it is the unionization effort within Activision and uh, especially with the with the satellite studios. So we have a better ABK, and that is really working to uh, unionize folks within that core Activision Blizzard infrastructure, but there are eight satellite studios that come with this acquisition. Uh, we mentioned Raven, but there's also Treyarch, High Moon, Beanox, Sledgehammer, Infinity War, Demonware, and Toys for Bob. They are all, hilariously, working on Call of Duty right now. Um, they don't need to be, but we can get into that. Um, and Raven Software, like we mentioned, is one of those ma ma massive uh, studios working on uh, Warzone, and it's like, Okay, like, were we going to go 18 months without any sort of activity with ABK? And I started to worry, frankly, Natalie, this week, mm -hmm. looking at tweets from ABK workers saying things. And I don't even know if these tweets are still up, but they were saying things Tuesday morning like, I think we are perceived to be too small to be part of this discussion. And I, mm -hmm. I was very distraught by that. I was like... First of all, I would take that tweet down, first of all, because, you know, like y'all got to act big, right? It's like you're trying to scare a bear away, like put your arms in the air and act scary because you are scary if you can organize. But now on Friday morning, we hear, okay, nope, Raven Software, they're just doing the damn thing. They want a union. They want it to be voluntarily recognized. And, um, and this is a huge story. I don't know what happens next. Um, right. Like, yeah, like um, what's the play the mm -hmm, for sure? Like, I mean, this comes on the heels of Vodeo Games Union, which yeah. is the first video game studio union union happening in North America. Um, and there's definitely a shift happening. Um, I did see ABK Workers Alliance members saying like, part of this means that Bobby Kotick's job is secured until the acquisition closes um, right. and that is just an unfortunate reality of this um, yeah. he is not you know automatically being kicked out and i guess we'll we'll dive into the actual statement in a bit um but nonetheless the work continues for when that acquisition does close and i, I think there's definitely a, a seismic shift happening and that it is you know, I mean, these statements, none of them are acknowledging these unionization efforts, no. these worker labor efforts. That is proof that you are scaring these people in yes. power and you have to you have to acknowledge that you have to believe in your own power. And it's it must be so hard to do, especially in the middle of an ongoing pandemic that, you know, it doesn't seem that there's like a light at the end of the tunnel yet i i don't think we see it um as of right now but the efforts being made to organize despite all the challenges those cannot be understated and yeah. the industry is watching journalists are watching consumers are watching there's definitely a change happening and they are 
part of the people leading it. And yeah. I hope they can find strength in that. Yeah, I mean, it would be seismic if this Raven union of the, of QA workers gets recognized. And because I, I feel like, one, that would give such a shot in the arm to the, a better APK and also maybe these other satellite studios that may or may not. And I've, I, I'm just speculating at this point. Um, you know, may or may not be talking about doing the same thing. It would be very interesting for this massive $70 billion purchase to suddenly be this heavily unionized entity entering into Microsoft's infrastructure. What does that do for the rest of that massive company um, is a question that I have that I have no answer to. Uh, it makes me feel hopeful, but it also makes me feel scared. I mean, Microsoft, we're entering into a, a thing where I feel like a lot of people, Natalie, kind of separate Phil Spencer from Microsoft in a way mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. feels unrealistic, right? Like, I have no reason to speculate that Phil Spencer is like a bad guy. I've I've seen nothing that tells me that, really. Mm -hmm. But I do know Microsoft, Microsoft has a long history of union busting and things like that. So, like, there there is this kind of odd separation that seems to be happening of like, oh, it's Phil Spencer. Like, that's better than Bobby Kotick. And I'm, I'm, and I'm like, I won't even argue that. But that's not a high bar. Um, and so I I wonder how Phil Spencer will handle this. Um, and for 18 months, he can't do anything about it because um, they can't really meddle in a lot of what Activision Blizzard does until the ink is dry on the actual acquisition. Right. Talking about uh, the cultural changes that this acquisition will serve for Activision employees yeah. is interesting. I mean, one of the first things that we sort of... I wouldn't say one of the first things, but as people were discussing over the course of Tuesday after the acquisition news came out, um, I mean, they I, Xbox themselves put a picture of the gaming leadership team over at uh, over at Xbox and they put it under that, you know, like initial statement and that leadership team does not look like most leadership teams. I would say in the industry, um, it is composed of 13 people. Uh, among those people seem to be nine white people, but there are four people of color and seven of the people in that leadership team are women. And so there yeah. was these, these discussions happening of, you know, a team like this, will they allow what has been going over at Activision to keep prospering? And it's it's a tricky conversation. Ultimately, my my conclusion is that progress in the industry is at such a, a an abysmally slow pace. We are having the same conversations that years ago when I yes. was just a teenager watching Gamergate happen. I was like, okay, <laughs> right. by the time that I feel like I firmly uh, entered the industry, these conversations won't be here anymore. Mm -hmm. And they still are. And it is yep. so disappointing to see that. And so it's like, is this the ideal sort of team that we want in video games at the executive level? No, obviously there can be a lot of work to be done and improve yeah. the diversity and across this leadership team. But progress in this industry is 
it, it always happens at a snail's pace. Um, I right. think it is important to to recognize that this does look different, especially on the heels of there was a studio that got a lot of backlash uh, last year um, that was formed and it was an all white male team. It was like a new studio. I can't quite remember the name, but it was like a public thing between yes. Jason Trier and uh, one of the team's leaders because it was called out that they had all white men on their team. Yeah. I mean, they they, they were forming a, a group of industry vets to form a new studio. They took a group photo outside and it was basically like, um, yeah, it was, it was the mayonnaise aisle at the supermarket. So, yeah, it was like it, it was. It, it, yeah. And it just is a bad look at this point right and so it's like this this does look different um it, it is important to i think it, whether you want to celebrate it is another matter entirely but we can acknowledge that this looks different and is heading in towards a direction where hopefully yeah. we can attribute at least some optimism that things will change. And generally, it, that seems to be the sentiment among Activision employees. Um, according to a uh, report by Bloomberg's Jason Schreier, Activision employees have, quote, trepidation about potential layoffs, optimism about Microsoft's recent history of buying game companies and then leaving them alone, and determination to fight for better wages and more worker protections. Uh, overall, it seems that a lot of employees are hoping that the acquisition, given that I think I think Phil Spencer is um, greatly benefiting from the sort of the good, inclusive, like sort of progressive image and work that Microsoft has been doing in the last couple of years um, and leading their PR efforts by. Um, he's definitely, you know, being attributed that work. And so right. uh, whether fairly or not uh, is another matter that is subjective and up to every individual. <laughs> um, sure. But I mean, that that is a thing, you know, I, I know people who are working at uh, different Xbox studios who are being paid great wages, who are the happiest that they've been in their career, right. who feel supported and are taken care of and are listened to by leadership and protected and all these things. But I also know someone who left a first person, uh, one of like Microsoft's you know, important uh, primary studios in the last year because they reported uh, a misogynist manager and mm. they were not heard, so they left. And they left right. to one of the studios that have been in the news for this for some time. Mm. And when I asked them about why they left and how things are at this new studio that everyone sort of is like, oh, you, do, you, you don't want to go there. Um, this person was like, it sucks, but at least we're talking about it here. Right. I wasn't listened sure. to at the previous, uh, you know, Xbox studio that I was a part of. And so that is just... It's just a, an unfortunate reality of this that it is an endemic thing. Microsoft right. may have, you know, better cultural practices in place and they might 
lead to some positive cultural change for Activision employees. I can only hope that this acquisition does. But this is an industry problem. This is at every level, at AAA level, at the indie level. Yeah. Uh, this is not something that uh, is not present at any studio. Every studio struggles with this. And the studios that have marvelously sort of, you know, largely bypass these issues are because they are working very hard at not doing so and about transforming cultural you know just the culture at large starting from you know their individual studios and trying to create a, a wave of change as a result so yeah yeah it's it, there's a lot here i mean like i, I don't think anybody would argue that going from Activision Blizzard's kind of leadership team to Xbox's is not an upgrade. Like I think, I think mm -hmm. it it is, but I still think there are issues that will come up during this transitions, definitely. But also after the ink is dry, even that, you know, th this is this is a long and winding road to get to next summer. I think. Mm -hmm. I think there are. I am hopeful that Activision Blizzard is going to have to be on its best behavior and actually start to address these issues in order for this to go smoothly. Um, you can call me naive, but like I, I do think that has to happen for this to go smoothly. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I still don't think 100% of these issues will be cleared up by then. Because um, like you said, everything happens at a glacial pace. Um and yeah, I can only hope that this leadership team at Xbox like actually has a plan in place for this stuff. I don't think they can say what that is yet um, for various reasons, but it's something that I hope they would actually address once this acquisition actually goes through, which again is going to be in a really long time. So yeah, um, I was happy that was the thing that both you and I noticed early on that like there's there's a lot that they can't say they can't for say. myriad reasons, but I think the the statement was quite clear in indicating that Kotick is probably is out after the acquisitions yeah. close. Like the the phrase of him, you know, being committed to the change, and it's yeah. like I'm thinking about the change in leadership, not change as like a. Mm -hmm an overall you know concept and also right. the whole like he will help the transition it's like yeah, yeah. that's that that he, means he's going to be there for the transition and then after that and that's it yeah you know, I mean, he's he said in an interview he'll be there as long as they need me essentially and it's like yes. okay well then then that means that that the, when that ink is dry i expect him to be gone Mango uh, need you. yeah um <laughs> and and i mean you know he and and it's amazing to me how broken that entire company must be just because of a lot of his decision making. I mean, he he gave an interview mm -hmm. this past week, Bobby Kotick, about about the acquisition, about the transition, about all this other stuff, and gave I, I a terrible interview. I mean, really made himself look terrible by saying things like, "Well, you know, the stock prices were really affected by." the delays of overwatch 2 and diablo 4 it wasn't really this harassment stuff it was really those delays and by the letter of the law he's right that when those things were announced that's when the stock price dropped the most but why did that happen bobby why did those delays happen why was there turmoil inside activision blizzard i mean he is trying to already rehabilitate his own image 
as he exits with likely a very large golden parachute uh, to the tune of almost $300 million if I'm reading his contract correctly. Um, so he's fine. You know, he's going to basically skip into the sunset with this massive cash payout and he won't get the comeuppance he deserves, which sucks. But right. but all we did this week was get more confirmation that he's a hack. He basically says, uh, you know, I saw a, a, a future ahead where we were going to have to make really tough decisions about the financial model that I set up. He basically set up the the entire financial model of that company, which was we're going all in on Call of Duty. We're going to do it every fucking year and we're going to spend eight studios getting the stuff ready all the time. We're going to totally overextend with all of our franchises and it's going to be fine because all that stuff's going to make money. And he finally saw that starting to crack when people started to get less interested in Call of Duty. And instead of figuring out a way to adjust his plan, he said, I'm going to fucking sell it. And yep. he's just a, he's, he's every bit cat. the hack that I thought he was. Yeah. I mean, that uh, interview, which I believe you're referring to the. The venture beat with, the venture uh, with, beat. with Dean. Yes. I don't recommend it really. It was a very soft interview. I don't recommend reading it, no, but it was. Don't, don't recommend it for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, that's. That's the thing. It's it's a terrible interview for him, but that he doesn't care. That doesn't, doesn't care. touch him. And uh -uh. I saw so many folks rightfully upset that, you know, he is being let go by Microsoft quite gently. Like he is being kept around for their transition period. And then after the acquisition closes, he's probably going to just, you know, gonna leave on his own terms and he's going to get a really lovely payout and he's gonna be rich for his entire life and not worry about a thing yeah and i mean and i don't say this to discount that anger but that's that's just the reality of life life is unfair yep. and this is a billionaire this is a person who uh was publicly outed as having threatened quote unquote jokingly threatened a personal assistant with killing her and ultimately he did not get has not gotten the punishment that that kind of thing deserves i mean um, natalie come on who hasn't threatened their personal assistant with violence? <laughs> i can attest to that john told me the other day <laughs> on 99 potions every week <laughs> god yeah i can't believe that i just i just the audacity of him being like yeah no it was a joke though it's like uh, right and uh, so it's okay. like that was always going to happen i do not care about bobby kotick getting what he deserves because he he's never will he's just gonna get a golden parachute we all know it right i care about him getting out as soon as possible as soon as that acquisition closes and seeing what severing the head of the snake will do for the actual rank and file workers for the people who make the money that he will very you know joyfully take with him and that he has benefited off of like a slime pig for so many years mm -hmm. that's all that i really care about and mm -hmm. it's it is unfortunate it's but that's that's how it is unfortunately i i can't say anything more uh than that it's just an unfortunate reality but yeah. 
you know, fine, leave with your money, go do whatever the fuck you're going to do. Um, I only care about how that's going to affect workers and how their efforts are going to be able to progress once he is out the door. Paul, can you pipe in some like amens and some like clapping from the, the, the <laughs> choruses? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I, so that that covers, I think, the most important part of the story. You know, I think I think I want to know how the workers of these eight satellite studios, Activision Blizzard as a core king, of course, we can't leave out King, the mobile arm of of uh, Activision Blizzard. Um, I care about how those workers are going to be treated. I care about this transition period. I care about their conditions being improved. I care about Microsoft as a as an entire entity, at least the gaming arm, improving conditions for their workers. Um, that's, I think, the most important thing. I will say there are interesting wrinkles here from the video game side. And it's probably worth talking about some of that. I mean, these are big franchises that Microsoft is acquiring that are not uh, exclusive or even known to be any sort of Xbox adjacent thing, right? So mm -hmm. talking about World of Warcraft and StarCraft even, StarCraft is mentioned a lot in these pressers, which is very funny because that's not really an active series, but it is active in esports. Um, Overwatch, these things are not endemic to Xbox. Uh, and Call of Duty is, I would argue, even more endemic to PlayStation than it is to Xbox. And so that started a conversation about game exclusivity and all of that stuff. Natalie, do you think we'll see a big shift in game exclusivity from Activision Blizzard or will they take a different approach than what they've done with Bethesda? Um, you know, not an expert in this field, but I I do think there there will be a shift. I think they I think Microsoft is has gotten extremely sound leadership that knows how to do things well. And so I don't think this transition will be anything but a gradual thing that will sneak up on you and that will just like, oh, okay, Call of Duty is exclusive to Xbox. Uh, just like one day after enough time has passed and after enough work has been done on their side. I mean, I just don't think personally that you spend $68.7 billion to not make Call of Duty exclusive to Xbox. That's not... <laughs> uh, everyone can partake in this money. That is, we are going to work gradually towards making that happen. Um, of, of course, there have been a lot of discussions about this since the moment the acquisition was announced. Just yesterday, Phil Spencer uh, tweeted, had good calls this week with leaders at Sony. I confirmed our intent to honor all existing agreements upon acquisition of Activision Blizzard and our desire to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation. Sony is an important part of our industry and we value our relationship. And I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that he values the relationship and believes Sony is an important part of our industry. They, they've done a lot of public work to right. uh, undo the the toxicity behind the, the console wars and to because it was always fucking stupid to begin with and, uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> and just, you know, uh, indicate that the future is partaking in all these consoles and playing all the games. And so... But I mean, I, I think a lot of people took this automatically as like a, a sign that Call of Duty won't be exclusive to Xbox, that these big franchises won't be exclusive to Xbox. 
And I, I mean, the phrase, our intent to honor all existing agreements <laughs> upon acquisition. First yeah. of all, all existing agreements is doing a lot of work. It's doing a lot of work in that sentence. Every single day. Yeah. Second of all, the wording in general is just very vague. Um, yeah. I personally believe that the phrase, uh, our intent or our desire that is corporate speak for absolutely nothing. It leaves room for so many things because desire in corporate speak means absolutely nothing. It it means, yeah, we, we sort of want to do this, but that everything about corporate is, is action and everything, every conversation is supposed to result in some sort of action. And so desire and intent, they can do some things, but they're not action in and of themselves. So I think that's just a really nice PR way to quell worries for the time being. And then to sort of like turn back on them quite easily because, hey, we indicated a desire and an intent, but agreements, you know, they yeah. take shape differently in I, the corporate we, rooms. We don't have to go f- that far back to hear their language on a similar deal where they said, I mean, Phil Spencer told uh, Kotaku about the Bethesda deal. Hey, we don't, we don't want to take people away from games. Like we don't want to take games away from a player base. Um, We just think more people should be able to play the game. Like that's just the thing. But what they meant by that is like, we're going to make this ecosystem so ubiquitous that that player base doesn't really have a leg to stand on. That's what he meant after all Mm -hmm. this time. And, yep. and I think that we're going to see almost the exact same thing. I, I don't know if we see it with um, Warzone. Part of me thinks that Call of Duty Warzone will always be kind of across these platforms because they've had a lot of success there. It's an ongoing game. I think taking it off of those platforms would be an active harm to the game because it's just active and, and available now for everyone. But I think future stuff, yeah, I, I would go ahead and plan for a future where if you want to play Call of Duty stuff, if you want to play Warcraft, if you want to play Overwatch even, Overwatch 2 especially, I would plan for an Xbox and PC ecosystem. Um, yeah. and I mean, yeah. like... I mean, the thing is that, yeah, you, you don't have to go far back to, to see... And Warzone falls under those quote-unquote existing existing agreements Mm -hmm. so truly like that would just be a terrible move for them to you know somehow try to make that an exclusive but like you said for future agreements uh that have not existed yet upon the acquisition of activision blizzard that's going to be another matter entirely and like you said we don't have to go far back phil spencer told that to kotaku in 2020 Last year, Pete Hines, the senior vice president of global marketing and comms at Bethesda, even went so far as to publicly apologize yeah, in a GameSpot <laughs> interview for Starfield's exclusivity because people were saying the same things. Bethesda's not going to make their future games exclusive to Xbox. Like, Starfield isn't going to be exclusive to Xbox. And hey, what's happening is Starfield is exclusive to Xbox and mm-hmm. they already it, it, this especially Bethesda's acquisition 
already sets a precedent for how they will tackle those conversations. Because Todd Howard then went on in a Telegraph interview to say, you don't ever want to leave people out, right? But at the end of the day, your ability to focus and say, this is the game I want to make. These are the platforms I want to make it on. And being able to really lean into those is going to make for a better product. So already on the development side, there's a justification for exclusivity. We want to make the best games possible. And by making it exclusive to one platform, we'll be able to do that. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll only have to do a certain amount. We don't have to do more. We, we will be doing less and it will make it a better thing, which like, He's not wrong about. I mean, yeah. if you have these exclusive games, the development cycle ideally gets less expensive. Um, right. But yeah, it's still it's it's an interesting it's still an interesting quote. <laughs> yeah, and then that's on the development side. On right. the consumer side, there's a justification that comes out rather brilliantly where he says uh, that because of cloud gaming and Game Pass. Games are actually more in right. people's hands than ever. They can just, you know, they can just fall back on this reasoning later on. And that's what I suspect that they will do. Bethesda's acquisition has already set that precedent. And I think just uh, they're doing, they seem to be doing things right with that. I mean, all that I've heard from people at Bethesda Studios is Microsoft's made the acquisition and they've left us most, like, they've mostly left us to do what we want to do and so industry concerns about that will also not be as you know i think skeptical right out the gate as they could be because there's there's already precedent for that and so i really think this is just a matter of time again you don't spend 68.7 billion that is just a number that i cannot I can't comprehend it to the point that I rounded it to 7 billion, 70 billion, <laughs> like a lot of yeah. people. And I think oh, yeah. Yeah. part of that is because we don't comprehend that amount of money. It's, um, it's, it's an obscene amount of money. Yeah. Right. And I mean, not making World of Warcraft's Xbox exclusive, like, come on, you've got Final Fantasy 14, which has been proven to now be the number one MMO in the world yes. over World of Warcraft. You have that exclusive to PC and PlayStation with no concrete word on whether that is coming to Xbox or when. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to need, Xbox is going to need something to rival that MMO. Sure. And I what mean, listen. better way to do that than with World of Warcraft? It's not going to be with Riot's upcoming MMO. No. No, if they if they pop if they pop WoW on Xbox, I'll 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 download it. I will. Like I will go I will dust off my dwarf from twelve years ago and check it out. And I think like that's what they're gonna have to do because I don't see Final Fantasy fourteen coming to Xbox. It'd be smart mm-hmm. if it did, but I, I don't see it happening in the short term. Right. Yeah. It's just they got <sighs> they, they need something to compete with that. Yeah. And I mean especially with Riot's MMO coming up like that is going to be another huge competitor. Xbox is going to need their own. Um, So it's, it's just a matter of time in my opinion, but I, I guess I, I can see why people are are optimistic. I think the language leaves enough room for that optimism, but I'm just not, uh, I'm just a little too skeptical, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I think and that's I, healthy. I don't, I don't that's healthy skepticism. In, I don't know if it's in inherently good or bad. Even I mean, we've a lot of the conversations centered around the monopolization of sure. 
video games and what this means. Like, are ultimately are just a few companies going to earn? I mean, going to own all video games? And you know, like, I mean, that this is, is a conversation that I'm less equipped to this, to talk about. This still has to go through Joe Biden's Fair Trade Commission. I mean, mm. I mean, excuse me, Federal Trade Commission. Like, it has to go through a lot of processes in the government. It has to be looked at. Um, I mean, I can I can speak to this a bit uh, later in the show, but you know, like there are real regulatory things that have to happen for this to go through. So we don't know. I mean, that's one of those things that we we still don't know. But you br you brought up Riot, and I think I have just kind of one more question for you. Riot was really formed in my mind as a reaction to blizzard and a reaction to okay we see blizzard going a certain way what if riot went in a different direction and they worked on one thing for a very long time the the joke was why are they called riot games when they only make one thing and now that they are they have hugely expanded with the riot forge program um they've had a lot of successful cross uh cross medium uh, cross media into properties like arcane which i'm sitting here with my with, with the resident expert of arcane <laughs> natalie flores um a three watch i mean eighth watch baby unbelievable watch. yeah Unbelie I well mean, by the time are... this airs you might be on the eighth rewatch i i might be yeah no i mean uh, the thing it, it's very I think clear <laughs> in recent riot leadership posts where they talk about how much they want to be an entertainment company. Right. Riot has progressed behind before like video games that is not a thing that they want to restrict themselves to. They've got KDA, Correct. they've already entered the market for yep. music. They're Arcane was but it seems that it did better than they ever imagined it would be because from what I've seen from people on that team who worked on Arcane, they fought for years to make Arcane and to sell leadership on the capital potential and like cultural impact of having a show like Arcane. Now they've got the statistics and the money and, you know, the, the clout to back it up, but they spent years fighting for that. So, yeah. I mean, it's like Riot wants to be so much more than video games. Riot is already making really undeniably successful strides into being more than a video game company. So it's interesting to see how quickly it has progressed beyond, you know, that yeah. genesis of... Uh, response to blizzard yeah and, and i think the reason i've been thinking so much about riot forge this week is because i, I see eight satellite studios working all on call of duty i'm like we don't have to do this mm -hmm. like blizzard has for better or worse it, whether you like them or not they have these properties that really 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 um focus on uh, characters and settings and and world building and you, you have Overwatch with these characters you have uh, but but with a very troubled game cycle component to it uh, you have World of Warcraft as a game but with a very struggling uh, road ahead because Final Fantasy 14 is doing so much in that space you have Diablo struggling because i feel like they're overextended they're doing diablo 2 they're doing diablo immortal they're doing diablo 4 there's a lot of market confusion i feel like with the games that these things 
uh, that that you know these franchises occupy. And I can't help but think, why not just basically copy the formula, right? You've got mm -hmm. this Xbox acquisition. You should go back to you should go to doing something like Riot Forge, copy the formula. I don't care. And and really put some stuff out there instead of putting eight studios on fucking Call of Duty. That's mm -hmm. just something I've been thinking about a lot this week. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it just yesterday I read uh, a Games Radar article by Harren Cryer um, where he reported on an Overwatch 2 producer uh, going on Twitter and being like, Bobby Kochek is the reason for these delays. Like, yeah. We were put on so many miscellaneous projects during Overwatch and in the lead up to Overwatch 2 that we've had months of lost time. And it's definitely partly a leadership problem. Um, but I I wonder what it would have looked like if we didn't get Overwatch 2 and instead got, you know, just had the main Overwatch game continuously updated, like League of Legends. And then we got sort of uh, a uh, Ruined King equivalent to Overwatch made by... Right an outside studio and then published by sort of right a, a riot forge-esque you know company yeah. uh that would be interesting and that would have been i think a a great direction to to take that series i mean overwatch is it's in its flop era i yeah, truly believe it it's in its flop era there's no <laughs> way around it but people still just like for a game that has been so severely into its flop era that has not been updated properly in the time that it has not been right people still care about those characters and sure. they still care about that universe and that's uh that's a level of goodwill that not most ips don't really get and no. i wonder if they've permanently lost the opportunity to capitalize on that um i can't say for sure but i can say that i I definitely would have loved to see a, a Riot Forge thing. I mean, I'm still, uh, uh, I've yet to play much that isn't Final Fantasy XIV since I came back from my <laughs> London yeah. trip. Um, of course. But like at the top of my list is going back to Ruined King because that shit slaps. And I, I do not care about the main League of Legends game. Most of the people who love arcane and are sick in the brain about it like i am that have watched it eight, eight ten times that are writing the fan fictions that i read every day you will see them in the tags like i do not give a fuck about league of legends i don't know anything about league of legends besides arcane and they they have no shame in admitting that and that's like that's fine yeah. you don't need to get into the main game to to get into all these other properties and yeah i just think the the Riot Forge and Arcane push that they did last year, that was really well done. And I I would like to see that for Overwatch and for all the other sort of character-driven IPs uh, under Activision's belt after this acquisition goes through. Mainly because like I, I want to see that for those workers that have, you know, struggled silently for so long under Kotex, you know, rain and that are finally getting some optimism for the future. But it's also really uncertain how that future looks like, it seems. And 
I just hope it's it's better for the workers involved. That's all that I yeah. really care about. Well, Natalie, I will I will let us go by reading a tweet from a better ABK that dropped this morning. It says, "We are so incredibly excited for our allies." at the Gamers Workers Alliance. It has taken months of meticulous planning and careful work to get where we are today, but we couldn't have done it without each other. Thank you to everyone who has publicly supported us and stay tuned. We are not done yet. So a hopeful note about the continued unionization efforts at Activision Blizzard. Natalie, thank you for hanging out and talking to me about this massive story and all of the angles that we could uh, possibly hit. Yeah, thank you for having me and thinking that I had some things to say. It turns out that I did. I was you like, did. Oh, you always have that. things to say. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I have smart things to say about this. And John believed in me, so thank you, yeah, John. Yeah, and I'm I always use, happy to talk to you. And, I use the one brain cell we share to believe in you, and then I gave you the brain cell, and you, you had you had good thoughts about it. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> you can also hear us bully each other on 99 potions every week that's okay, true you should bye. do that now i can say bye thanks <laughs> Okay, thanks again to Natalie for chatting with me about this huge story. We didn't go through all the details, so I want to hit some of the finer points uh, in a bit of a rundown um, real quick before we get on to some other stories. Uh, the the acquisition is, of course, for the entirety of Activision, Blizzard, and King. Uh, King cannot be uh, left out of this conversation. I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, $68.7 billion. Of course, Activision Blizzard is in the midst of a bunch of lawsuits and turmoil as they try to clean up their act and uh, eliminate a frat boy mentality from their organization. Um, Phil uh, Phil Spencer at Microsoft uh, is excited about this uh, acquisition, of course, and notes how important it is to uh, get the ABK games into Game Pass. Uh, he says he expects most of those games to find their way to Xbox Game Pass one way or another. Uh, he was not very specific about the, the specific games within the Activision Blizzard catalog. We still don't know about major games like World of Warcraft. We still don't know any new updates on Diablo 4 or Overwatch 2. I don't expect to actually get those uh, for a long time. And here's why. Um, in filing the paperwork, uh, we figured out that there will be basically an 18-month gap between now and when they expect this deal to close. So there are some things that can and can't happen. Now, it's not like an IPO where there has to be a, a period of total radio silence about what happens between Microsoft and, and Activision Blizzard. Uh, but there is some things that cannot really happen. Microsoft cannot publicly steer the direction of Activision Blizzard until the ink is dry. But I would still expect them to have a lot of meetings about, hey, like, don't screw up this deal. Don't, you know, like before you make some sort of call to cancel or delay or launch something even, um, we should probably talk about it to make sure it's in the best interest of both companies and the deal. Um, that said, Phil Spencer is not going to say a whole lot between now and next summer about Bobby Kotick, one of the central figures in this entire thing. Bobby Kotick is, of course, the embattled CEO of Activision Blizzard, who is at the center of a lot of the claims of workplace discrimination and sexual harassment. He will probably remain at the helm of CEO until 
the ink is dry on the deal next summer. Uh, he will probably stay there with the transition team. This is a very common thing. And Phil Spencer is probably not going to say anything about Bobby Kotick and the job that he's doing. Um, it's probably why Phil Spencer got a little bit quiet about their dealings with Activision Blizzard a few weeks ago um, when asked about how things were going with their evaluation of their working relationship with Activision Blizzard. Um, so yeah, there are just a lot of things that can and cannot happen between now and when the ink dries on this thing. Uh, we touched on it in the conversation a little bit. Um, there is nothing to indicate in, at least in an explicit term that everything that Activision Blizzard does will just be an Xbox and PC exclusive from now on. But if you read between the lines, like we talked about, uh, it does seem to indicate that, yes, they will honor the contracts of a lot of things, just as they honored the contract of, let's say, Deathloop, which is a PS5 console exclusive game for at least a year. Um, they're honoring those things. And at some point, a lot of those new contracts will probably be uh, in the favor of Microsoft, just as we've seen with Bethesda and Starfield. Starfield was one of those games, especially that was at the center of a conversation of whether it would be an Xbox exclusive or not. A lot of folks, myself included, actually thought it would probably still end up being a multi-platform product. But instead, they went uh, the total opposite route and decided to make it an Xbox console exclusive. So what this does for Activision is give them a clear path for a future without Bobby Kotick, who will, uh, quote unquote, uh, help with the transition as long as he is needed, uh, which seems to indicate to me that very soon after the ink is dry, he will be gone. So it gives ABK a real path to uh, some sort of future without Bobby Kotick. Bobby Kotick is probably not the only source of rot at that company. Of course, we've learned that many people, many of whom have left the company uh, in the past few months, uh, many people are responsible for the problems at Activision. Blizzard. Microsoft is going to have to clean those up. And I think Activision Blizzard is actually going to have to go a long way cleaning those things up between now and when this uh, when the deal is done. Um, there's another thing that has to happen for this deal to get done. It has to go through the government. The government often looks at big acquisitions like this to make sure that uh, a monopoly is not forming in the industry of note. So uh, Obama's uh, Federal Trade Commission, of course, nixed a deal between Comcast and AT&T that would have created one of of the largest monopolies in telecom uh in the world, obviously. Uh, and that deal got nixed. Now, when Trump was president, a lot of different deals went through, including a lot of deals with Disney, because those regulations were not as tight, of course. Now, Biden has not been tested on anything like this uh, since his, his joining, uh, uh, the, uh, since him becoming president about a year ago. Um, it will be tested. Of course, we just had a take two acquisition of Zynga uh, to the tune of uh, $12 billion. So they're going to look at that. They're also obviously going to look at this $70 billion deal between Microsoft and Activision Blizzard. Um, something also of note, this is really interesting. The actual acquisition price was about $95 per share of Activision Blizzard stock. This was $30 above market rate when this was announced. So Activision stock price had been plummeting for throughout most of 2021, and it never got lower until after uh, Activision announced that Blizzard uh, that Blizzard was delaying uh, Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4. The stock price plummeted at that point to uh, under $60 a share. It recovered a bit, and then by the time this was announced, it was purchased at 95 even though the market was at 65 So why the premium? Um, 
There are a lot of reasons that they could have paid a premium for this. Maybe it's just the way that the deal could have gotten done the fastest and Microsoft had money to spare. Maybe there's stuff coming down the pipe at Activision that's actually very hopeful for their bottom line in the future. No matter what, a $95 uh, purchase price means that all of Activision Blizzard's shareholders are going to get a pretty nice payday, which is ultimately what Bobby Kotick's job was. So he will be remembered by at least one class of individual as being a wonderful leader. But of course, uh, us knowing better <laughs> between you and me. Uh, he was basically doing something with Activision Blizzard that was unprecedented. He basically consolidated a ton of different satellite studios to all focus on the Call of Duty franchise. He overextended all the franchises of the Blizzard properties and basically just tried to make as much money as possible on games and game sequels. When this started to look untenable, especially with Call of Duty, he folded like a cheap card table and said, OK, we're going to sell. Um, now, again, that is a very inflated price for Activision Blizzard, but there are reasons that it probably happened that way. Okay, what else is there here? We talked about the unionization stuff. A better ABK is still talking about unionizing. We have the Raven Group. The Raven QA folks have formed a union and are waiting for it to be voluntarily recognized. Since I talked to Natalie this morning, uh, we did get word from Blizzard that they are basically looking at it and figuring out a way in which they can make it work, which is uh, corporate speak for saying, we're going to punt on this. We're going to figure out a way to thrash and resist until maybe it goes away. But we will obviously keep you posted if something happens uh, with this story. Uh, but we have basically one union that has formed another union that is forming. And we have um, a wave, right? We had the Vodio Games Union that Natalie mentioned earlier, uh, one of the first, actually the first video games union formed in North America. Uh, and now we have these others that are forming and hopefully will be recognized. It is a huge, huge development in this industry after years and years and years of discussion. We're finally getting some uh, movement on this. Uh, and what will happen when a bunch of unionized groups actually enter into the Microsoft ecosystem? Will we see more unionization efforts with Microsoft first party studios with Microsoft itself? Time will tell. Uh, but that's just another angle of the story that we will keep an eye on. What else can I say about the actual details of this? Um, King is a, a big part of it. So King does Candy Crush. King is uh, uh, responsible for a ton of massive mobile games. We talked about Zynga last week, and we talked about, and we're going to talk about King today. Now, King controls a lot of the mobile market in the United States. Um, King also has games that are super successful overseas. Uh, Activision Blizzard also has a lot of success overseas, and this is a way in which... Uh, Xbox could actually theoretically infiltrate more Asian markets if they so choose to do so, especially when it comes to things like StarCraft. Um, King is, uh, is, is a huge, huge thing for Microsoft. Microsoft is not particularly strong in mobile department. Now, in terms of cloud services and using mobile to leverage the Xbox cloud, uh, they're very, very strong. That service is actually quite good compared to things like Google Stadia. Uh, but in terms of actually having a mobile ecosystem, uh, a slate of mobile games that Microsoft Microsoft is publishing. They've never been super strong on it. Uh, but King gives them an entry point into that market. And that is definitely one of those things that is 
probably under the radar with this acquisition, but very important. Uh, one of the things that's very loud about this acquisition is, of course, Game Pass. A lot of these games are going to go to Game Pass. Game Pass is quickly becoming a huge value proposition for Xbox. A lot of folks speculating that the price of Xbox Game Pass will likely go up once the ink is dry on this $68.7 billion deal. Uh, but we have no idea. It may not be like Netflix and uh, Hulu and other services that have to keep bumping their price to keep up with all their production costs uh, because Game Pass is also an entry point into things like console sales or peripheral sales. Uh, it may not be a linear relationship between how much they're spending and how much they expect us to pay, but it's still one of those things that you should definitely keep an eye out on. Wow. Okay. That's another, what, 10 minutes of discussing other angles of this story. Um, yeah, I appreciate your patience, but yeah, that it's a lot of stuff to unpack with this deal and we'll be unpacking it for a very long time. Okay. But speaking of, uh, Bobby Kotick and other highly paid individuals in the games industry. Uh, we did get a fairly uh, robust report from uh, market intelligence firm Games One over the weekend about the top five folks, uh, top five earners in the games industry. I have their names and their titles and their salaries. Let's go through them. Number five, Frank Jibu. Zynga CEO, uh, he, he'll probably have a nice payday from that buyout, uh, but he did get paid in 2020 $32 million. Andrew Wilson over at Electronic Arts, he's CEO, $35 million. Andrew Paradise, <clears throat> Andrew Paradise, the skills CEO, that's a real sentence made $103 million. Bobby Kotick, as we've been talking about, Activision Blizzard CEO, made $155 million. And Robert Antokol, uh, the Platika CEO, it's an Israel-based games company, uh, he earned a staggering $372 million in 2020. Uh, this, this report really did uh, nothing except for uh, specify and highlight the massive income disparity between the top earners in this industry and the general working populace. So uh, when we talk about unionization, when we talk about wage, wage discrimination, when we talk about uh, closing the revenue gap, uh, these kind of reports do actually do a lot to highlight just how big that disparity is. So uh, this was an interesting thing to read. I appreciate uh, Andrea Sheeran, our weekend writer. I think that's my first time shouting out Andrea. I should have done it a lot, a lot earlier, but Andrea has been doing amazing work for us on the weekends. Thank you, Andrea, for uh, writing up this piece about uh, overpaid CEOs. Can you believe it? Uh, all right. I really only have one other story for you this week. The, the Activision Blizzard thing really sucked the oxygen out of a ton of other stuff. Uh, the Life is Strange remastered collection is actually getting delayed on Switch. Uh, the, the cluster of games is being still released on PC, PlayStation, Xbox, and Google Stadia on February 1st. But... We still don't have a date for when the Switch version will be out. Uh, Life is Strange True Colors came to the system last year, uh, and it's fine. I think the other versions of this game are a little bit better, but that's to be expected. Uh, but yeah, we have no idea when the new date will be for the remastered collection. Uh, but for folks who are big fans of this series, I hope it's not long. That's that's really it for the big stories this week. We did see some new footage 
of uh, the Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga game that was supposed to come out a couple of years ago. It's now coming out in April. That uh, We saw a long trailer for it. It's really impressive. Uh, but we also heard from our buddy Jack Yarwood over at Polygon.com about extensive crunch that happened uh, at TT Games uh, to get this uh, to, to ship in that April window. So uh, if you want to go over to Polygon and read Jack's amazing piece, Jack wrote some great stuff for us uh, last year uh, and already this year. He wrote an amazing piece this week about uh, a, a rock star nightclub, uh, which I think you should definitely go uh, check out on our website. But the story about Crunch over at Polygon is very interesting, too, and a good companion uh, when you watch that uh, amazing trailer for the Skywalker saga. That game looks great. Maybe go read this piece to see what it took to to get it that way. Uh, and uh, and yeah, just keep that in mind. You know, labor issues are important. I know a lot of folks get tired of them, but I don't. They're pretty, they're, they're vital. Let me get you ready for next week's game releases. Hey, uh, you like video games? There are uh, a few of them coming out this week. So let's go through the list. El Ejo, A Wild West Tale. It's coming to iOS and Android on January 25th. Uh, that game is already out on PC and console. So if you want to check it out before you grab it on mobile, it is available on those other platforms. Um, we also have The Artful Escape, a game that came out for Xbox uh, last year. It is a gorgeous game uh, for PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, and Nintendo Switch. That's also on January 25th. Circuit Superstars is a uh, racing game coming to uh, PlayStation 4 uh, on... Uh, January 27th. That game is also already out for Xbox One and PC. Um, Damon X Machina, uh, which is a uh, a Switch game. Remember that game? It was really wild. It came out on Switch, uh, I believe it was maybe even two years ago. I'm going to look up the date very, very quickly. Uh, oh my gosh, God, it was, it was such a long time ago. Uh, 2019 uh, is when the game came out for Nintendo Switch. It's now coming to PC on January 27th. Uh, Uncharted Legacy of Thieves Collection, uh, the collective of Uncharted games starring Nathan Drake coming to PlayStation 5 and PC on January 28th. You know those are going to look good. If you like those games, you'll probably want to pick that one up. And then the big one is Pokemon Legends Arceus coming to Nintendo Switch on January 28th. We should have a boatload of coverage for that game uh, by the time it comes out. So uh, keep your eyes peeled over at fanbuy.com for all of our coverage of this highly anticipated game. And then folks, like the week after that, it's February. And February is just, again, I can't stress this enough. We, we got Dying Light 2, Stay Human. We have Sifu, which looks amazing. Uh, we, have, we have all the Kingdom Hearts games coming to Switch which are going to be too expensive and they're also on the cloud. So they probably won't run very well, but if you just have to play them on switch that that'll be available to you. Uh, Assassin's Creed, the Ezio collection is coming to switch next month. King of fighters. 15 is coming out next month. Horizon forbidden West is coming out next month. Destiny to the witch queen is coming out next month. Elden ring. The most anticipated game of all of 2022 is also coming out at the end of February. So, we just have a few more days to get through January before we hit the absolute uh, monsoon that is February's game release schedule. So take a breath because it's it's coming. 
and and we'll be there for almost all these with a ton of coverage. So get ready for it. Uh, that's that's it for 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 really what's coming up this week. Uh, I don't really have any uh, streaming uh, recommendations. I've heard the, the I've heard mixed things about the Boba Fett show. I haven't watched it yet. I haven't even finished Mandalorian season two. I need to do that. I'm not that interested in the Boba Fett one. I have to be honest. Uh, we saw a trailer for Moon Knight. That looks pretty cool. I don't know anything about Moon Knight. And I, I after watching the trailer, I still don't. But that's okay. It looks great. Oscar Isaac is in it. So that's really probably all I need to know. He also has a real bad English accent in that trailer. I mean, I think that's on purpose, I've heard. But it's like Natalie Flores bad. That is going to do it for this week's episode. I want to thank my guest, Natalie Flores, for stopping by and discussing the massive Activision Blizzard acquisition. Thanks so much for lending your expertise. And uh, we got to break some news, at least for us, by the time you're hearing it, it's not super, super new. So it's kind of just whatever. It's old. It's not news. It's old. But whatever. We were excited. Uh, if you want to hear Natalie Flores, Every single week, you can do so over at 99Potions. 99Potions is a weekly RPG podcast. I'm also on that show. Uh, we have really great discussions about RPGs. Uh, this past week, we talked about the new God of War PC port. Uh, we just talked about God of War in general and getting ready for God of War Ragnarok. If you want to find Natalie on Twitter, you can do so at HeartEmesia. That is H-E-A-R-T-I-M-E-C-I-A. Yes, it is a play on Ultimesia the villain from final fantasy eight <clears throat> that's a great it's a it's just a really good tag uh all right if you want to follow my wonderful producer paul tamayo you can do so at Polly mayo uh you should also listen to his podcast the optional it's amazing it's chill he hosts it with cam brewster i love it it's right here on the fanbyte network you should go listen to it uh what what am i up to you can find me at floppy adult of course but every tuesday morning i host a stream at twitch.tv slash fanbite called tuesday morning the show this past week we talked for an hour and a half about the activision blizzard acquisition you can find that vod over on our youtube channel uh and we had a really nice conversation with imran and nikki uh about uh basically every angle as we uh as as we understood it that morning so it's a really entertaining conversation conversation uh this coming week we will kind of do the same not necessarily talking about activision blizzard although i bet we will uh but we're gonna do more newsy things with that show uh usually it's a chill podcast where i talk about you know food or youtube videos and i play some video games uh, we're gonna shift it to a little bit more of a newsy approach kind of a companion piece to thanks for the knowledge so if you like the vibes of this show you should check us out every tuesday morning uh, we start at 7 a.m pacific i know that's early but it's a nice little way to start your morning um and yeah that's over at twitch.tv slash fanbite i hope to see you there uh all right folks that's going to do it for this episode uh i'm not going to do this outro a second time i know that's how i usually start the outro i have to end this hey you know what you're welcome